Swain. I'm sorry. I wouldn't be bothering you here, but your people keep telling me you're unavailable. You know, you really could be doing more for this city. Your family has a history of philanthropy, but as far as I can tell, you're not doing anything. left this for the Batman. Why is he writing to you? You came. I've been trying to reach you. Riddler's latest. It's all about the Waynes. If we don't stand up, no one will. You got a lot of cats. Never think about strays. The bat and the cat. It's got a nice ring. You a new friend of yours? I'm not so sure. I'm just here to unmask the truth about this cesspool we call a city. You're part of this too. Stay still! How am I part of this? Oh, you're really not as smart as I thought you were. Bruce Way. All these years, you lied to me, Alfred. We all have our scars, Bruce. He's still away. He's involved in this? No, he's not involved. How do you know? He's a vigilante. Who are you under there? What are you hiding? Selena, don't throw your life away. Don't worry, honey. I got nine of them. It can be cruel, poetic, or blind. But when it's denied, it's your violence you may find. Justice. The answer is justice. Come on, vengeance. Let's get into some trouble. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome back to Joygasm, a video game and movie podcast. I'm Russ, he's Steve, and somebody please pass Batman the Advil, episode 264 today, March 10th, 2022. We're going to be dispensing with the pleasantries and getting right into our topic of the day, which is the, the Batman. Batman. You said before I did. Review. Yeah, yeah. Well, it sounded pretty good, though. Yeah, I wish I just would have jumped off the cliff a little sooner. It's okay. It's, you know what? You're, you're my sidekick. It's okay. You're my, you are my boy wonder, Steve. <laughs> the backup. I'm the shadow anybody of ever, your speech. Anybody ever tell you you look fantastic <laughs> in those elven green shoes of yours? Man. My goodness. My color mm. matches my complexion. I have to apologize to all of you as we did, in fact, intend for this particular episode to drop last week. However, mm. I came down with a head cold. And seeing as how this is a Batman movie, I did not want to try and force the topic. You know, I didn't want to try and like force my way through it and suffer and agonize and everything else. I feel like it deserves me being more on the mend. So even though I'm not back to being 100% saucy. Mm. 
I'm getting there. And not to mention the fact that it makes a little nice gravelly sound to my voice as we talk about Batman. Sure, it was just a head cold, not COVID rust. <sighs> Actually, I will have you know, Steve, that yes. uh, I took two COVID tests. Oh, my goodness. Because my wife was very, very quick to actually, mm. you know, think along that same <laughs> wavelength. Quarantine, you're just locking the closet and you hear like a little, yeah. like the padlock. Wait a minute. This has got like a weird <laughs> twisted version of, of the movie Misery. You're like, oh, I'm in bed. Like, wait, 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 why are you coming at me like that? What's, yeah. what's happening? <laughs> the, the, the test come back says, you are messed up. But you don't have COVID. Yeah, right? exactly. You see what this thing says? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it is. It, and it was not fun to have, you know, they, they, they give you that long. Like I had not needed to take a COVID yeah. test at all until this point. And then all of a sudden, like I'm like shoving this thing up my nose. Yeah. You know, you need to do it for 15 seconds on both nostrils. <laughs> oh my gosh, this is making my eyes water like you don't even know. Did you get a little like snot trail on the way out? No. <laughs> Just bleh. No, a little bit of blood. A little bit of blood. Nice. Yeah. Anyway, it should go without us saying what we're going to say it anyway that this is a spoiler alert mm. for all of you who have not seen the film. So, you know, you are forewarned that we are going to be going into spoiler territory with this movie. Now, have I gotten all of the introductory howdy doody stuff out of the way, Steve? Oh my goodness. No, I have not. Make sure you, I don't know, extol vengeance upon that subscribe button. <laughs> and- <laughs> <laughs> I was not expecting you nice. to do that. That was good. Yeah. And, uh, and subscribed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> subscribe button's like, no, please, no more. I just do one job. Yeah, exactly. And uh, maybe scratch at that notification bell. That way you will not miss a single solitary episode of Joy Guys and the Drops once a week, every week. Now, I believe. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> we uh, have geez. gotten all of the necessary things out of the way. Steve. <laughs> yes. As we go into this, I can't help but want to uh, actually get into the mood itself of the Batman. Would you be willing to humor me a bit? Oh, Let's see you. Uh, what, do you, what do you want me to do, Russ? Uh, 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 he doesn't know, does he, folks? <laughs> it could be any number of things. You're going to play the music or something? No. Copywritten. Copyrighted. I mean, I, 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 I don't know why I'm sounding like Okay, Goldblum, Jerry, Batman. Jerry Goldsmith. Or Gold Gold Batman. Goldblum, man. Uh, that's my name. <laughs> Goldblatman. <laughs> I'm uh, waiting, Russ. What do you got? <laughs> Well, Steve, um, technical difficulties over there, Russ. You need me to talk to Alfred for you, Lucius Fox. You know, maybe. Hmm. You know, th- th- this is this is a, a, a show on a budget. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 Steve. Uh, you see, I thought that we could actually get us some mood lighting. What do you say? Oh. A little bit more like. Gotham City from the Batman movie. Oh, look at that. That just I don't know about you, but that gets me right in the mood for some Batman. What say you, eh, boy? Yeah. Hardly even see myself. Well, right. work with it, Steve. Work with the light and the shadows. 
It's Steve. Yes. Oh. Tell me, Steve. What did you think of the Batman? You're, you're not going to leave the lights low like this, are you, Red? I mean, well, you're not going to leave it low like that, are you? Well, Steve, that's what happens when I'm in control of the lights. Sure, Russ. <laughs> Why not? Stop ruining the mood, Steve. Um, <laughs> You got to get in the mood first before you ruin it. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, what did I think was your question, Russ? Uh, yeah, Steve. Well, what did you think? High-level thoughts of... The Batman. Well, they gave me some stuff I liked and some stuff I didn't, Russ. They give me they give me a dark Batman, which I wanted. Mm. They left out the jokes. Uh-huh. Which is what I wanted. They didn't give me like any campy DC. Hey, we're superheroes. Wanna crack a few jokes? Indeed. Uh, I'm glad that was left out. They gave me some uh butt kickery, uh-huh. which I liked. Um but they also kind of threw in some stuff I didn't really care for. Um, didn't care for, yeah, he says. Yeah, Russ. Um, I, I, th- I thought the cast was fine. I thought pretty much all the, the lines given were fine. Uh, music was decent. Um, I think, you know, I'm on the way over here, I was thinking I need to have a phrase for something that um, shows the movie action sequences are exactly what the trailer showed uh-huh. because I didn't, we really didn't get much more than what the trailer showed. And so when like there were scenes that were coming up, I'm like, uh, is that going to be what the trailer, you know? And then it was, and I'm like, okay, it was only something else. And then they, they really didn't. I can, the, 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 the biggest or most in, intense sequences are basically seen from in the trailer. So like everything that you see in the trailer, yeah, that's that's the most exciting stuff. The rest of it's just kind of, you know, detective-y and investigation and talking and, and whatnot. Uh-huh. So I was kind of like, you know, meh, you know, kind of disappointed with that. I kind of wanted them to show me something and, you know, towards the end that really slapped me in the face. And I kind of, you know, I didn't really get it. Um, other than that, I mean, I, I thought everybody did a fine job. <clears throat> um, so anyhow, yeah, well, well, I'll kick it back to you. I won't take that much time. Oh, right? that's oh, totally fine. Yes. <clears throat> well, I thought the movie had great comic book sensibility, Steve. That's what I thought. I thought that Paul Dano did a masterful job as the Riddler. I also thought that Colin Farrell was brilliant as he was. He the did good. Yeah. Nice, nice uh, character study going through as the movie went on for three hours, which is interesting to me because when we were first sitting down, I knew that the movie was three hours, and so I was thinking to myself, okay, how are they going to fill up this time? And actually, I must say, it was nice to not constantly being thrown from one scene to the oh, next. Sure. Like, like you know, they really took their time um, indulging each and every situation that they were in, that sort of thing. So I thought that was super cool. I also thought that the score was really well done. I I, um, I still think that the Danny Elfman score and even the Hans Zimmer score uh, are better. Mm. But having said that, there is actually a lot here to like, and I'll get to that in a bit. Um, I loved the the twists and turns of the story. You know, the story itself is a little bit of a a slow burn, but it's not like an official slow burn. Like it's it's more about they like they want to be able to give you like a a bread trail, and so you're 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 trying to figure out like what's going on, 
But at the same time, it's like there are like these these two plot lines that are going on. Like the, on the, on the one hand, it's like you're trying to figure out like who the Riddler is, where the Riddler is, that sort of thing. But then you're also slowly getting revealed or or having revealed to you um, like how there's this very like intertwined, entangled type of um, relationships that each of the main characters possess with each other, whether they are aware of it or not. And so I, th- I found myself appreciating that quite a bit. I do agree with you hmm. in the sense that some of the fighting itself, um, you know, first of all, there was quite a bit of it that was revealed in the trailers and there wasn't a whole lot new after that. But furthermore, too, I, I found myself yearning um, for a bit more uh, of kind of what we've seen with like the Christopher Nolan fight sequences and that sort of thing, if that makes any sense. Sure. What were you going to say, Steve? No, I was I was just picturing the different fight sequences in my mind's theater. Oh. Theater. Oh, excellent. Yes. Hmm. Go ahead, Steve. No, I was actually going to ask you about the relationship. I was going to, I don't want to mess up your notes here. No, 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 you're good. Go, go ahead. But, but I mean, <clears throat> when you said relationships, that was kind of the, one of the things that I felt they, um, it the movie was kind of lackluster in. Uh, I thought that the relationship between uh, Gordon and Batman was probably the best relationship in the movie uh-huh. because I really didn't care for Batman and Alfred, and I didn't really care for Batman and Catwoman. Uh, I just thought that was where really missed opportunities. They could have gone, I thought, a lot deeper with them. I mean, Batman and Alfred, for crying out loud. How... I'm, the Michael Caine and you know sure. did it crazy in, in the Nolan films. Uh, well, he did a great job, and um, it wasn't. But it wasn't just the acting. I mean, he have Andy Serkis for crying out loud. But it wasn't. I didn't really feel the connection between Alfred and Batman, and uh-huh. I wanted to, and I wanted them to go deeper. I mean, there was that beginning scene when he gets back. He, go, I mean, he looks at me. He's like, Alfred, you're not my dad. Uh-huh. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. You, I mean, really, this is the first dialogue sequence and like, you know, that's what you say. Uh, so I was kind of disappointed in that. I, I, and I, and I thought, well, I'll stop there. I, I want to get into the, the Catwoman Batman thing, but I want to toss it back to you. What would you, what would you th- say about the, the, the Batman and Gordon and Batman and Alfred? <clears throat> so I, um, I agree with you to a certain extent. Um, I do think that the, this is, this is kind of one of more of the constructive criticisms that I have regarding the film itself, which is exactly as you pointed out, the relationships between Batman and, uh, commissioner Gordon, which in, in this movie, I think he's more d- a detective. I don't think he's reached right. the level of commissioner yet, as well as his relationship with Alfred. And, um, you know, when I think about the, like my favorite Batman films, like if you look at like the Tim Burton Batman films um, and you see the relationship between um, Michael Keaton and um, Alfred in, in, in that particular uh, film, or if you look at like, like Christian Bale, Michael Caine within the Christopher Nolan Batmans, there is clearly a, like like there there is a lot that has gone into establishing this uh relationship, this friendship, this history that's there. And in this movie, it's like, I think the, I think Matt Reeves was wanting to focus so much on kind of like this, 
darkness, this dire situation, that sort of thing, um, that that was a bit of a missed opportunity in that, in that regard, because like, if, if I think of, of those older films, you actually have a certain amount of levity that counterbalances all the darkness. So like, you know, if you have seen like, say for instance, like the Tim Burton Batman films, uh, specifically Batman returns. And there's like a moment where Alfred brings him like this uh, bowl of soup and, you know, <clears throat> Bruce Wayne is like right in the middle of like trying to figure out who Oswald Cobblepot is. And, you know, he's, he's very intense and stuff like that. And he goes to take a bite of the soup and the soup is cold and he spits it out. And Alfred says, it's Vintage Schwarzer. And like, you know, my, Bruce it's Wayne is supposed to be cold. Yeah, exactly. And, and like Bruce Wayne just without a beat, like all of a sudden just starts eating it. You know, it, like having those moments of levity really act as, a, as kind of like a, a breath, not necessarily a fresh air, so to speak, but like more of like, you have to have those moments that kind of show more of the character itself. And I think they got a little too caught up in this film when it comes to showing Bruce Wayne, because it's like every single time you see Bruce Wayne, I'm not talking about Batman. I'm talking about Bruce Wayne. Right. Bruce Wayne, I mean, he just, he looked very emo. He right. looks very melancholy. And the melancholy part of it is appropriate to a certain extent. But at the same time, you know, I, as a Batman fan, I always love to see kind of more of the humanity and the struggle that Bruce Wayne has, like when he's not donning the cape and cowl. And Bruce Wayne is the kind of person where he definitely relies on uh, the older men in his life. You know, Lucius Fox or Alfred, you know, Commissioner Gordon. These are, these are men who are much older than he is, but he values their wisdom. He values their guidance, right? That's actually one of Bruce Wayne's strengths is that he is always a student no matter what it is. And it's not just limited or exclusive to those gentlemen, but in all things. And that's what makes him such a force to be reckoned with because he actually learns and he listens and he's humble. So there is that there. So yeah, like when, when it came to Alfred, you know, what I think is interesting also is that Andy Serkis is a phenomenal actor. We have been big fans of his throughout his acting career ever since we saw him in Lord of the Rings. And it is interesting to me to see him in a role like this because I didn't feel like he was a perfect fit for Alfred, the character of Alfred. And that has absolutely nothing to do with him as an actor at all. I think it's more about a casting thing. And, um, you know, I can say the same thing with even Jeffrey Wright. Like, Jeffrey Wright is a good actor. I've enjoyed him in the James Bond movies. <clears throat> um, I, I also enjoyed him um, being in, in the Disney Plus uh, Marvel cartoon series. You know, he was the watcher. But one of the things that I think he's in danger of is every single like type of role that I personally have seen him in, he kind of plays the same character. He, he, his voice sounds exactly the same. Like if you put him up next to James Bond and listen to him speak versus how he sounds in this film versus how he sounds as, as the watchman, I'm always watching. He's in that, 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 that specific kind of range of, of acting and voice acting, but we're not really seeing him expand beyond that. And so I think that, that in a way it's like, it limits the character and it, and it limits him as an actor a little bit to be able to, to showcase that. Because once again, if you think about like Gary Oldman nailed commissioner Gordon, I mean, like if you think, if, think of like 
Batman Begins, Batman The Dark Knight, and, and Batman The Dark Knight Rises. He was the living embodiment. <clears throat> Excuse me. Nice. Living embodiment of... Mm, now I think I'm getting it now. Commissioner Gordon. Good. <laughs> so, you know, looking at, at the persona that Gary Oldman created for Commissioner Gordon, and again, he started out more as like a detective before he got promoted into Commissioner Gordon in The Dark Knight. Right. So we got to see his character arc, but also he was relatable in the sense that he was this good cop. He was this person who... Um, you know, yeah, sure, like, as the films progressed, he got a little bit more of, like, a gritty side because he was exposed more and more to the extreme elements of Gotham. Uh, but in terms of the character itself, there was just a lot there for, for a viewer to chew on. You're just like, wow, okay, this is really, really great. In this instance with Commissioner Gordon, like, he looked fantastic and he acted correctly, like, in all of those sinister scenes and stuff and him, like, kind of you know, murmuring to Batman, I mean, all that was good, but I, I wanted to be able to see more. So I don't know if that's kind of what, where you were at with your thoughts or like what, what you were thinking. Yeah. I mean, the thing, the thing that I've always got from Batman is that Bruce Wayne and Alfred, for example, they're, they're kind of mono e mono. They're the only family each other has. Right. I mean, well, how old was Bruce when his parents murdered? Like nine. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's a kid. I mean, maybe eight. Yeah. He's a kid. And so, Throughout the the movies that we've seen, there's no indication that that Bruce like had family birthdays or family holidays. It's literally like Alfred and Bruce right. forever. So, um, I mean, <coughs> Alfred took Bruce under his wing, and they are very close. They're the only like I said, they're the only family each other has. And so, I I want to see that that bond. I mean, and who wouldn't want to see a family bond in in a movie, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, th those two people. Um, they, they share that, that closeness, that kind of like mental intimacy. Like a, if you grow up with somebody and you raise them and you are around for their entire life, you're going to know them pretty much inside and out. And I wanted to see that with Andy Serkis, right? I mean, love Andy Serkis. So that could have been partly, I, I think it was more writing, but I mean, it could have been the actor, of course, too. Um, but um, I, I didn't really didn't see it. Too. I thought it was fine with, uh, with James Gordon. You mentioned the voices, though, which got me thinking, like, everybody I thought, at least in the first half of the movie, was talking so quiet. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. Hey. hey. You're across the room. Oh. I know. But you can still hear me? Oh, yeah. I, I, can, I can hear you, yeah. <laughs> hey, can like, you, do you see that thing on the shelf over there? Yeah, the shelf. Why are we talking so quietly? <laughs> yeah, the acoustics in here are amazing. I can barely <laughs> have to speak above a whisper, and you know precisely what I'm saying. Uh, the side of the hallway. And I don't know. I, <laughs> I thought, I'm like, why are we all talking so quietly? Speak up! It's Jack Jacks, but I can't hear you. <laughs> and you, yeah. you know, um, I So anyway, I kind of thought that was, like, that could have been done better. Um, I mean, even James Gordon. I mean, everybody in, in, in the movie was almost doing it. It was very monotone. Yeah. Like, that was the thing, was like, like, like everybody was just, you know, it's like that constant monotone emo kind of thing. You, know, you, just, you just don't want to exhibit <laughs> too much of that, that range, you know? And yeah, and I think you're totally right. I think that, like, you know, you need to have a certain amount of that exist within a Batman film. But at the same time, like, if everybody's doing it, right. and, and, like, there isn't um, moments where you veer away from that, then it's almost kind of like it gets turned into like this kind of uh, uh, not necessarily like 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 a, a muddy soup situation, but more like 
it begins to take away from the tension of that scene. Well, that it, 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 I think everybody starts to have the same personality right. instead of expressing differently in their own personalities. Right, right. Yeah. No, I think that's a great observation, and I think that that does speak to um, one of the things I had on my list just in terms of, of oh, uh, the constructive really? criticisms of the film. However, having said all of that, um, let's talk about the Riddler. Yeah. Um, my goodness. So it was such a challenge. It's it's always is like when you when you have the Riddler, right? The Riddler is not the Joker. The Riddler is not the Penguin. Riddler is not Two Face. The Riddler is not Two Face. The Riddler is not Bane. <laughs> I mean, the Riddler arguably is one of the more like very easy to venture into cheese territory villains, right? So how on earth? Can we have a proper Riddler? And I got to say, like in Batman Forever, I enjoyed Jim Carrey's rendition of the Riddler, even though that was a huge, massive departure from what we saw in this film. You know, I could still appreciate like what he did in that movie. I think it fit for that particular film. It would definitely not fit in this particular rendition (laughs) of Batman's world. But my goodness, like Paul Dano, he... First of all, I'm not too sure. <clears throat> nice. Excuse me. Excuse me. I need to talk more like this. First of all, I'm not exactly sure if I've seen him in another movie. Have you seen him in another movie, Steve? I don't believe so. But I have not M-dibbed him yet. Indeed. Yeah, I don't recognize him. However, he gave such a just riveting performance as the Riddler. Um, it is absolutely fantastic to see an actor be able to take on a role that's as creatively challenging as that. And every time he was on screen, I was just creeped out. I mean, he was dark. He was creepy. I love the, the costume design that they did for the character. And he, you know, the Riddler just single handedly became a very deadly villain in his own right. Um, and it, I loved how different it was from the other Batman villains that we know. What'd you think? Yeah, I, I it definitely made him believable. Just like I would say Nolan's Batman made Joker believable. This Batman made the Riddler. Or like Scarecrow. Believable. Even Scarecrow, yeah. Um, and so, it, but, it, but it made sense how, you know, he was... He's not a guy that's you know, you're gonna sit on a podcast and talk with, right? Well, actually, he had his own podcast. So that's probably a bad analogy, but I mean, does he know, really? Yeah. Well, in his, in his in the movie, yeah, like he had his own following. I don't know about a podcast. No, but he I mean, didn't have like, a podcast. He had an online presence. He had an online presence. Yeah. He would like put out videos and stuff. No one interview anybody. Hey, let's talk about uh, yeah. riddles. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I got to think for riddles. You know? <laughs> um, you know what I got to thinking was um. You know, how can this guy like live out you know his existence with just watching people through binoculars and, and figuring stuff out? And then it got me thinking, I'm going to go off topic here, but it's, <laughs> I'm going to wrap it up. There's a scene out of Dexter where Dexter is talking about how he's a serial killer and, and, and it's part of the hunt, right? And uh-huh. so he's doing all this investigation about people and he loves that. that that's the game. And so I thought I, I put it back to the Riddler and I thought that's probably him too. Like he's he he loves the hunt of staking out 
watching people what you know see what how what they do throughout their life what they do throughout their day what kind of routines do they do like after work when they get home where they're gonna set their keys where they're gonna sit down that sort of thing and um so we got it he has it all figured out so he knows where to stand where they're not even gonna look because they're not used to looking over there right right exactly um so anyway i thought that was that was pretty cool and, and, and it made him even though he wasn't strong and strapping doesn't like, have to be. It doesn't have to be. He just has to be in the right spot at the right time. He's, catch me- somebody he's methodical. As, uh, yeah, and then catch, catch him in a surprise, and then he's got him, yeah. right? So and he's deadly in his own Did way. you ever see the movie The Zodiac Killer? No. Oh, man. Okay. But I, I've, I've heard of it. I mean, yeah. I mean, a <clears> lot of, <throat> I, I've read about it, and... Um, you're I, you're I, familiar with I, the, how I, the, yes, the, the like it's a real person and all that. Right. Well, okay, so I I watched uh, the Zodiac Killer film, and it, it's oh, man, it's scary. It's terrifying because it you know it, it was totally based off the actual events and the real person who was the Zodiac Killer in the San Francisco Bay Area, and they totally took inspiration and reference from right. the Zodiac Killer with regards to the Riddler. In this regard, there were certain scenes where I was like, wow, there are some strong parallels in this, but it for for the way that they approached the source material, it worked for the Riddler. And I think that that was a, a kind of a, a missing component when, when I, when I was thinking about how on earth can you portray the Riddler in a way that gives people the creeps, right. Or like makes makes the Riddlers um, deadly. And that was really it, you know, and, and to your point too, you know, I think that when it comes to like more of like that Dexter, um, type of, of mindset as well, where like, you know, in the hunt, you are in fact, um, staking out your, your prey, right? Like, like you, you know, precisely where they live, you know, what their, their daily schedule and routine is. And, and plus I loved how the, the cinematography in the film also lended itself to being an agent for the Riddler. I mean, there were several scenes where like, he would just all of a sudden be there and you're like, Whoa, what is that? And, and, uh, and there was a lot of brutality as well when it came to his victims. Um, I would, I would go so far as to say that this movie definitely draws inspiration from seven, which I assume you've seen the movie seven with Long Brad Pitt and Morgan ago. Freeman. Yeah. Um, definitely draw, draws some, some stuff from that and draws stuff from the, from the Zodiac killer. I'm not, I can't think of anything off the top of my head in addition to those two films, but I was really, really pleased with what Paul Dano did with that particular character's role. I even loved how there was that contrast where like when you finally see his face, it's like this creepy, like little boy face. It's not like it's, it's like some sort of man's man, grizzly looking face. It's like this weird, like untouched by time, like almost innocent, almost innocent. Totally. And there is that one moment where when the police apprehend him in that coffee shop, when his head hits the, the bar, did you notice like the, the facial expression he gave at that moment? I did. Yeah. Dude, that was freaking creepy. Like it was so subtle, but it was almost like he, he got off on the pain. Like he got off on them, like, like, like hitting him that way. And then you saw how like, like part of his glasses got cracked and like, it was almost like him being manhandled by the cops in that way almost broke his facade of being like this innocent little cherub kid kind of thing. But he had to like reel his darker Riddler side back in 
I saw it more as um, him thinking they don't know that I've thought all of this through. And I knew I was going to get arrested here. Sure. I knew that someone was going to chase me and see me. Um, and so, like, you guys are stupid in the fact that I figured all you out. So you think you've got me. And I'm actually expecting you to come get me because I'm expecting to watch my plan unfold from my jail cell and watch Gotham explode and, you know, tear itself to shreds. So that's what I mean. That's what I read from. Sure. It. Yeah. 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 No, I, mean, I, I thought it was really, really great. And also, too, in terms of like the whole cat and mouse thing, I love how like the, as the riddles were um, getting figured out and, and they were catching up to Riddler, which, of course, that's part of his master plan anyway. I did really love how I got invested in trying to capture Riddler, right? Like like when all of a sudden there was a, a call and the cop says, yeah, there's a witness who said they saw some guy go into a coffee shop, you know, and how like that, like they're going down to get him. I, I was definitely with them all. I was like, hey, let's go get him, let's get him, you know, <laughs> doing the thing. So, um, yeah, phenomenal. Like I would put Paul Dano's uh, performance probably next to Heath Ledger's um, in terms of just being so perfect for that that villain role, it's like you look at him, and I can't imagine someone else being the Riddler. It's that good. Yeah, I'm glad they didn't choose the top hat as part of the costume, Russ. <laughs> top hat and Karen. Hey, you riddle me this, Batman. <laughs> so much of that stuff is based <laughs> off of like like how do you actually. How do you introduce those elements in a way that works? Because yeah, like like to your point, like it could easily be stupid and cheesy and everything else. But it, there is also a way. And again, to the wardrobe stylists and costume designers they they could I, I'd be willing to bet they could figure out a way that to actually make it work. And that would be a sight to see for sure. Because again, like the Riddler is one of the harder characters to work with. Right. Pivoting over from that, Steve, over to. Colin Farrell's. Yep. Penguin. Did a great job. I mean, if I didn't know it was Colin Farrell from the credits and well, of course, IMDB. I saw it was he was in the movie. And then I saw he was Penguin, but I'm like, man, that's not him. Yeah. That is not him whatsoever. You didn't have those caterpillar eyebrows. Nope. He didn't have his Irish accent. Nope. Didn't have the same walk. Mm-mm. Man. He's I, I read he was in like makeup for like three hours a day putting all that. He was stuff on him. Godly. Well, and I had read also that um, they did a makeup test where they actually had him. They they did all the prosthetics and stuff. This is before the movie was was uh, starting, and they had him walk into a Starbucks to order a coffee. No one recognized him as Colin Farrell. Like, and that was when they knew they're like, okay, yeah, we've we've got something here. This is cool. So. Oh man, Steve! Tell, tell us your thoughts. What would you what you think of the penguin? Oh boy, um, man! Uh, I thought the penguin was probably one of the highlights of the entire movie, if not the highlight of the movie, honestly, mm. because he was so far out there. And I mean, the, the penguin, it, and uh, in my memory, is like the penguin from the Arkham Knight, you know, games, the Batman Arkham. Sure. Knight, which you know, that's not a bad penguin. That's actually no. a better penguin, honestly. It's a good penguin. Um. I mean, and, and then you have Danny DeVito, which, I mean, I wasn't really fond of that penguin, honestly. I He didn't really do it for me. It was a Tim Burton penguin. It was a Tim Burton thing, but I was like, meh. Um, so anyhow, I'm like, how are they going to put them? I think they could put like a long nose on them, like a droopy nose. Like, what are they going to do? Uh, 
But I mean, he's a gangster. Uh huh. And so he's not going to look that ugly, right? I mean, he's going to look beat up, probably scarred, you know, from, you know, getting in fights and getting hurt and whatnot, but he's not going to look. Like he's him. corrupt. And I think that's part of, like, his visage, really. Like, when you think of, like, every villain, so every villain in the Batman universe, one of the things that, that is super well thought out with regards to all these different characters is that it, 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 each one represents or symbolizes a reflection of Bruce Wayne in terms of how Bruce as a character, you know, he, he has um, come across these forks in his, in his life road, basically, right? And it's, it, with every time that he's, he approaches and he's presented with one of those forks, he makes a decision as to like, you know, which way he's going to go. The villains in the Batman world all represent basically what happens when you choose the other fork in the road. And so in the Penguin's case, you know, the Penguin is, you know, the, there's multiple things for this. You know, the, you know, the Penguin represents more of that corruption, it's more of that, that like you said, more of that gangster, sinister. Um, in some cases, Oswald Cobblepot came from um, a family that actually was, was uh, very similar to Bruce Wayne's in terms of kind of like that, that whole being born with a silver spoon kind of thing. Right. But then you see like how Penguin leverages that for his own personal gain versus Bruce Wayne, who leverages his means to be able to um, enact more of that selflessness, that civic duty, that vengeance. Same kind of thing with like, you know, if you look at Joker, Joker represents chaos. Batman represents control, control versus chaos. Um, and so it's, you know, you go down these, these different um, avenues with each one of these characters. And I, I just, I don't know, like even the Riddler, you know, you have someone who is very intellectually and mentally strong and smart. And so, but Bruce Wayne is as well, which I love like that scene where, the Riddler is presenting his victim with these different riddles and Bruce is like right there with him, like saying, that's the answer. That's what you want. That's what you want. You know? And I love how like there is that because then you see how like, well, the Riddler clearly feels as though he is justified in enacting these types of things to society versus what Batman chooses. What about Batman and Mr. Freeze, Russ? Batman and Mr. Freeze, do you? What are the opposites? What, are, what is Bruce Wayne and Mr. Freeze? Well, so Mr. Freeze is, is kind of a wild card because he's not like a full-on villain, but he's also not a goody two-shoes. He's kind of, um, I would almost place him in kind of the same area as Catwoman, where it's like he's in the rogue territory, but he's also somewhat of a neutral. Like there are multiple instances where Batman has actually allied up with Mr. Freeze to like get things done. So it is kind of interesting how it goes back to cool the place down. Now I will say, yeah, the cool place down. Um, now there is a difference in terms of, for instance, losing a loved one, right? So, yes. so Mr. Freeze lost his wife Nora, and he's hell bent on trying to come up with a, a cure for her, or trying to, you know, like bring her back, or what, what have you, right? Whatever kind of storyline you're trying to follow, and he is absolutely hell bent on doing anything he possibly can. Um, there really are no limits as to, to what he will do or where he will go in order to achieve his goal. Batman's different in the sense that he lost his parents. There's no way to bring them back as much as he would love to have them back. But he uses that grief, that sense of loss to supercharge his will to be like this unstoppable force of will when he goes into 
uh, being Batman and, and, and going out and, and helping tr to try and prevent the same thing from happening to other families, to other victims, that sort of thing. So there, I mean, there, there is an example there for you. Okay, fine. Going back, because we're digressing all over the place. Back, sorry, to the penguin. I think this could definitely be uh, Oscar-worthy performance from Colin Farrell, just because the, like you said earlier, the man is from Ireland. He's Irish. Like his voice was totally penguin mannerisms. He wasn't even like, and when I'm talking about Oscar, I'm talking about like, like best supporting actor or something like that because <laughs> he wasn't in the film like a ton. Every time he was on screen though, I mean like the guy totally stole the show. Like like he was hey, funny. take it easy, sweetheart. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, just, that's the, that's the, that's what they're going to put up on. Okay, and Colin Farrell for the Batman. Yeah. Take it easy. Okay, and <laughs> that's, that's all they're going to show. Then they're going to go to the next actor. I loved how they also made his character, it obviously... It was he's a villain, but I but I didn't. Let me back up. No, I loved how there was there there was there were certain complexities with his character. Did you notice that it wasn't like oh look I'm the penguin I'm evil <laughs> and then like it goes on from there like it actually like had first of all there were cowardly moments with the penguin. There were also moments where like he wasn't sure what was going on and like he but he did provide Batman with certain information that he needed clearly under duress because Batman was, was going to beat him to a pulp otherwise. But it was interesting how there was that scheming going on behind his eyes, right? He was sizing the situation up no matter where he was. He was sizing up the people and he was calling people out on like their shortcomings. I mean, even like that moment with um, Gordon and Batman where like he's all handcuffed and they're trying to interrogate him and he's like, you guys are idiots. Like, I didn't do anything. Like, did you think about this, this and that? You know, like, so I really loved how that character came together in Matt Reeves' Batman. What did you think, Steve? Yeah, I did. Um, I mean, I, that scene, um, <laughs> I'm sitting there the whole time going, a rat with wings, it's a bat. It's a bat. You guys, a rat with wings. He's like, but, but it wasn't a bat at that <laughs> moment, though. I, true. But, well, the Riddler did have his eye on, on Batman. But, I mean... Yeah, he was kind of you, Falcone, you know, Falcon, whatever. So, but anyway, but he was dropping those clues. And then, anyway. I, by the way, I, before we move we on. Oh, back, yes, Ross? I loved that concept with the plot. Where, like, they were basically, like, exploring all the different types of birds within Batman. That was pretty cool. Where you had, like, Falcone. I didn't even think about that. Falcone is like a falcon. Yeah, then you had Penguin. Then you had, uh, you know, the bat. I, I thought that was pretty sweet. I I don't I didn't, I didn't think it was I, I for the first time I I when I heard the riddle I thought it, it's Batman. I mean a rat with wings that's bad. I mean like it's a penguin. I'm like a penguin's a rat with wings? No, you know it's a falcon. I'm like no a falcon definitely does not look like a rat. You know but a bat does. I mean it has the ears that look like a rat or certain bats do. It's kind of like hairy and or furry just like a bat, but it's got you know, its feet look like a rat, um, but it has wings. Well, but I think you're getting your riddles mixed up because when they were interrogating the penguin, the answer to that riddle was, in fact, the falcon. It wasn't the bat. The, the one you're talking about was the one that they found at Riddler's apartment. Right. And that, but that's what did, well, didn't make sense. Like to the I'm, I don't like riddles, but um, <laughs> but I mean, what's looks like a rat and has wings? I'm like 
a falcon? Yes. But I'm like, ah, that'd be so far from my mind. Like, why would you narrow it down to a, a falcon? Anyway, I don't have to stay on that one. Well, but you have, I mean, like, again, you, you have to think about the characters at play. Like, again, Batman is able to deduce a lot of these types of riddles. Sure. You have Gordon, who's also pretty proficient in this sort of thing. He is a detective. He's a detective in riddles. Not to mention the fact that, like, it would be kind of lame if, like, you as a movie-going viewer could, like, instantly guess, like, every <laughs> riddle, like, oh, this riddler sucks. <laughs> you know? I mean, let's be real here. Like, like, <laughs> I mean, like, I want to be stumped. As a movie going viewer. So uh, like, you know, I, I love the fact that like I was, I was the same as you were like, I didn't know. I was, I was trying to put it together. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, okay. It's this. It's like, oh, cool. That, I didn't even think about that. But again, I had an appreciation for the fact that they took names that we've all known for years, for decades. And they applied it in this way that caused me to rethink about like kind of the origins of every character's name, which I, I appreciate that. That's cool. It's a nice little touch. Sure. I also wanted to talk, you know, this is this is technically not like an actual human character, but I did want to talk about the character of Gotham itself because I did love how the city was just alive to me. Every single shot we saw there there it just felt like there were things that were going on in every alleyway and every store and every like apartment room or whatever like like there it was like this very living breathing entity that quite honestly kind of reminded me a bit of the Christopher Nolan Batmans. Like if you think about like some of the, those city shots and stuff, I was really happy. In fact, there are quite a few qualities within this film that I feel like if Christopher Nolan were to make like a fourth Batman movie, like the Riddler character and the Penguin character would be perfect in a Christopher Nolan Batman movie. Not only that, but like the way that Gotham was captured totally was like had that same quality as what Gotham felt like within the Christopher Nolan movies. Did you pick up on that at all? Uh, yeah, I did. Well, I I thought Gotham was more rotten in this one than yeah. in the Christopher Nolan film, which I'm not take. That's not a, a takeaway. Yeah. Um, because you know, depending on like the episode and like the cartoon you see, or you know, the, the director's eyes on which Batman it is. I mean, Gotham has like this stage of you know, corruption and crime level and can't we even live here sort of thing, you know, and, and Gotham and this movie was, you got, I mean, pretty much you got to evacuate the city. Yeah. You know, all the good people on the train out, you know, I mean, this is fight for yourselves, you know, um, I it was almost more so. And the fact that uh, in the beginning of the movie, uh, you hear, Batman say how far Gotham has fallen mm -hmm. and you know you see you know that this this uh, Asian gentleman uh, basically get mugged until Batman steps in the way and, and everyone's vandalizing this that and the other and yeah. um, and and granted crime is not happening everywhere all the time when the sun goes down but it but that impression was given because like every thug everywhere once they saw the Batman symbol they got paranoid, right? Yeah. Um, but that's all we saw was just mayhem kind of going on, um, which almost kind of harkened back to the Joker movie in a way towards the end there where every, all the riots are happening and he's just like, you're standing there loving it. Yeah. Um, anyhow, <coughs> so, but back to what I was saying, that's all you see. And then at the end of the movie, um, I mean, Catwoman's like, I'm out of here sort of thing. <laughs> you know, it was like, I don't even feel safe ripping people off. You know, I got to leave. Yeah. So, um, I mean, maybe it was a, a bit too much 
showing Gotham as y- yes, it is a living, breathing, functioning city, but um, it gets to a point where you're like, do you even go home? <laughs> you know, just like live in the sky on some hot air balloon or something. I mean, and I think that that it plays well with the fact that this was Batman Year Two, so he was very much at the beginning of his life cycle as the Dark Knight. And they wanted to give that impression that crime was just rampant. I mean, it was everywhere, right? And um, I also wanted to talk about the cinematography because the cinematography was fantastic. It was gorgeous in this movie. And actually, I, I looked him up. Greg Frazier was the cinematographer, and he's the one who did Rogue One, a Star Wars story. He did Zero Dark Thirty. He did Vice. He's done a number of films that we have seen where it's like I have taken note of the cinematography and looking at what he did here, again, kind of similar to what Christopher Nolan did, but that's a fantastic thing. I love the cinematography that they did in the Batman trilogy for that Christopher Nolan did. And it was great to see that continued on within this particular film. Did you love seeing all the different colors and framing and stuff? I did. Um, also, too, like the, the camera, like the mounting shots, I guess, yeah. kind of reminded me of like the, the latest Mission Impossible in a way where they... You know, they, they mount a high-end GoPro, if you will, uh, on a car so you can see just exactly fixated where that perspective is. Uh, you know, rather if it's on the back of the car or like you are the side mirror looking at Penguin and what's behind him sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so there was a lot of those shots too. Um, a lot of shots that seem like they're in Top Gun as well. So, I mean, that's probably like the popular thing to do Might now. Might be a maybe. trending thing. Yeah. yeah. Zoe Kravitz, Steve, is Selena Kyle mm. slash... Catwoman, what'd you think? Well, I was interested to see what she would would do with the character. Um, But honestly, I think the movie could have been fine without her. Um, I didn't really see much value that she brought, actually, to the the film. I don't think she did anything bad, necessarily. I just think the the movie could have functioned fine without her. Um, I don't think that's really necessarily her fault. I think it was just the way her part was written. I think it was probably one character too many, perhaps. Uh, I I just didn't really get anything from her character. I don't know. I really enjoyed her character. I enjoyed um, her performance as Selena Kyle in Catwoman. I think that she, you know, Catwoman is a very, well, you know what? A lot of these characters are very difficult to pull off because of the psychological complexities that they each bring. Catwoman is no different. And I think that from a cerebral standpoint, I think that she nailed it. I really do think that she had the persona of Catwoman very, very well nailed down. Um, and not only that, but there was no struggle with it with her. I think that that she totally effortlessly exuded kind of like that, that Selena Kyle slinkiness and stuff, which was great. I really liked how they decided to to bring her character into the story because Selena Kyle is one of those wild card characters where you try and think about, okay, how is she going to, excuse me, play a role in any given Batman story that actually has relevance, that has value, right? Like, you know, it's one thing if she's just, oh, I'm stealing stuff, you know, there's really, I mean, that's very one dimensional, but I loved how, once again, this story did a, such a, a, a great job of intertwining the various characters so that like their own character arcs ended up intertwining with each other in ways that they didn't even anticipate as characters, but then found themselves 
all of a sudden like really twisted in this this kind of visual personification of a riddle. And I thought it was cool how like you learned about how her mom uh, hooked up with Falcone. That's how she was born and she was brought up in this kind of like CD club environment. It You could see how she got her street smarts and like why she has some of that very natural sensuality, sexuality that's in there. You know, it's not just there to be there, but like, you know, she is a byproduct of the environment that, that she was raised in. I really, really appreciated that kind of like uh, exploration. But also too, like I, I really loved like her, her nails looked super cool. I thought that that was a, a nice touch. And also too, like, like if you looked at her suit, like she definitely looked like Catwoman without having like the official, like crazy amounts of Catwoman stuff on her. I thought that was like a, you know, kind of a nice change up from what we've seen in the past. But again, it's, it's difficult to look at because like, you know, Michelle Pfeiffer to me is still like the best Catwoman in my opinion. Like, like she not only was insane, but and the membrane. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. But, but I also feel like too, I mean, like she just looked the part, like she really not, not only like imbued the persona of Selena Kyle, but then also had, um, the, the perfect uh, execution of like what it was like to be Catwoman in all regards. You know, like every time she was on screen, you're just like, my goodness, like that is Catwoman. And I feel like Anne Hathaway did an, um, a nice job as Catwoman as well in her own way. I, I don't think that her particular rendition of Catwoman um, had as much of that psychological messed upness. Right. Um, but then when, when, <clears throat> excuse me, when, when it comes to Zoe Kravitz, though, I feel as though she had a lot of that, that Catwoman street smarts. She had a lot of the um, kind of like that, that vulnerability baggage that you just see for like just a split second, you know, before she like, you know, becomes aware that she's revealing that side of herself and then she tucks that away again, you know. Um, and also kind of that unpredictability that like cats have, you know, where like you don't know if they're going to like, you know, reach out and like, you know, <laughs> you know, scratch your face or if they're going to rub up on you or whatever. Like she had very <laughs> oh, much. Oh, meow. <laughs> Whoa. Hello. <laughs> so anyway, um, I thought that she did um, a nice job in this movie. I didn't have any kind of uh, really big complaints with that. My, well, the way she exuded Catwoman is not really my complaint. It was mainly just her, um, how her character was written into the movie. Uh -huh. So, um, I mean, Batman is getting used to um, fighting crime, right? Beating people up, taking hits himself, healing, investigating, being the detective, trying to make allies. And Gotham is just a cesspool. Uh -huh. And so there really wasn't that much of a connection other than like him looking at her thinking she's hot and him looking at or her looking at him thinking he's hot. And then, I mean, beyond that, they really, there was no other real complexity or spark, um, which almost seemed like she was kind of using him maybe. Um, but possibly. Then, I mean, possibly. But I mean, other times that we've seen Catwoman in either like the games or the comics or, or um, other movies, whatever, like there is a romantic connection between Bruce Wayne and Selena Kyle. And, and she, of course, she doesn't know or maybe she didn't make the connection in the movie that of who he is. Right. So that gets granted too. But 
Um, I, I just thought they, they could have gone deeper with it if they really wanted to, to drive the point home of like, this is how these two can connect and this is how, you know, they're, they're attracted to each other. And I really didn't get it. Um, that kiss was pretty hot, I gotta say. Yeah, it, you know, it was it was okay. Um, yeah. But also, too... Smooch. Like, the, the monologue that Batman gives in the, in the beginning of the movie versus towards the end when that smooch happened, uh, to me, seemed a bit, like, hypocritical. Because here he is trying to do his best and a one-man army to, to clean up Gotham, and she's like, let's just go rip off some white privileged a-holes. <laughs> I just want to kiss you right now. That's all I want to do. You know, I mean, it just seemed like I'm stuck in this rubber, <laughs> this black gothic emo oh eye makeup. All I want to do is smooch out yeah. here. So I put my hair in my my face a little bit, wipe it away. I'm sorry. Um. You, were, you were saying something, but I was too enamored by looking at your luscious lips. Um, I'm Batman. Anyway, <laughs> so to me, it it just it didn't go anywhere. Oh, I'm sorry, Steve. I'm sorry you feel that way. Yeah. Well, the score itself. Okay. Okay. The score of the film had a lot of high points for me personally. Um, <clears throat> I liked how there were certain moments that were almost like callbacks to uh, the Danny Elfman soundtrack. Sometimes there were certain callbacks, or maybe perhaps I as a, a listener and a fan got triggered in a very positive way huh. where there were like certain little callbacks to like what Hans Zimmer would do and stuff. But then there were like original um, sound art that was being made in that regard. Actually, let me take a look real quick here. So the the composer was Michael uh, Giacchino, who I'm not familiar with. I'm not too familiar with his work. Yeah, Giacchino. Hey, oh yeah. <laughs> Giacchino, <laughs> hey, he can play some tunes, huh? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Watch what's it? Yeah, I can't do it. My voice is too jazzed. Yeah, that sounds mm, terrible. I'm going to stick with the Batman voice. Uh, so it's not really the Batman voice. Oh, what was it? Well, <laughs> movie trailer voice. <laughs> um, yeah. No, I really did love a lot of what he did with the string accompaniments. There, there were certain moments where, like, if you recall, like, that you would have, like, a... Um, part of the strings would go really high and it had almost kind of like that Selena Kyle, you know what I'm talking about? Where, where it's like that slinky, like, you know, like, I don't recall that at all. Steve, were you asleep during the movie? It's like we watched two different movies. Anyway, um, <clears throat> lots of, of, of different, really nice arrangements that, that he did in there. I will say though, in terms of the score, so, um, both Danny Elfman and Hans Zimmer have done masterful jobs of their Batman scores. So like when you watch Batman and you go through every single scene, I mean, Danny Elfman was just, I mean, he ate his Wheaties that day. Like everything from <laughs> like the, the, not the, sponsored by Wheaties. No, the Batman March or like the clock tower, you know, the dum dum. You know, like like you had so much of like like this grand comic book opera arrangement. You know, like a vision. It was it was totally a vision. It was it was an opus. Like to this day, like you listen to any one of the tracks that's on the Danny Elfman Batman movie, and 
There's so much variety. They're they're it's fantastic. It's crazy, like how many different tracks he made that were unique unto themselves, but yet still fit within this entire world of sound that he. Cr I mean, it, it seriously is one of my all-time favorite scores ever. It's so good. And even when I think of Hans Zimmer, you know, Hans Zimmer is another composer where, like, throughout the Christopher Nolan Batman trilogy, he came up with great abstract sounds for for that the um, score. When you like, you think of um, Batman himself, right? And and you think of how like there was a lot more use of like the percuss uh, percussion instruments, and you compare that to like the Joker sound where it's like one violin and it's going higher and higher and higher. And it's going like into the, like, like these minor keys. And you're just, you know, it's such like, you just want to like, ah, oh, get away from me. Like, like it <laughs> starts like, get off <clears throat> me, but I like it. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it, it's, it starts, it, it's weird because it like, it makes the audience start to feel like, like I'm, I'm starting to turn to the Joker. I thought you were tapping, stop it. You know, it, it's very transformative. Jeff um, as a Joker. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm insane. Insane. <laughs> See, look at me. Look at me. Wide-eyed. Wide-eyed. That's what I am. There. <laughs> I have this flower. Oh, smell it, but don't take it too close. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I like to taste uh, uh, the flower and uh, dip it in cinnamon. Yes. <laughs> um, so when I think of the score for this particular film, there were moments of brilliance that I did really appreciate. Yes. How, however... Oh. I did feel as though the composer couldn't kind of get out of some of like the main melodies that he put together. Yeah. Like when you think of like kind of like the the main Batman themes um, of, the, of the film itself, he has that dun 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 Again, Punch you in the face. <laughs> Take heavy steps. <laughs> you know, it, it, and if you compare that to, like, say, something that Danny Elfman did, where he where he has the dun But you get the point of like how like you, you have this crazy like dramatic cinematic dark uh, Batman worthy score and I kept wanting this particular score to all of a sudden go into that. Get in the car. Which one? <laughs> My, my grapple hook. Yeah. <clears throat> now, I will say that there were moments, like I said, Sorry. of brilliance within this score where, sure, yeah. like, the moment we saw the Batmobile, which we haven't talked about yet, and you being a car guy. Well, Ross, I'm you know, impatient. Well, please, Steve. Ah, well, you bring it up, Ross. So, um, I really appreciated how they, you know, the, being that this is, like, newbie Batman. Yes. I mean, newbie is in there. Year two. Year two. Um, you know, he's like, he probably doesn't have like all these concepts of like how to make a car. He just wants it to be fast. 
freaking fast. Mm. And how is he going to be different? How is he going to be like a little more muscle? You know, because he's going to have to shove people off the road. He's going to have to jump off trucks and stuff after explosions. He doesn't know he's going to have to do that. <laughs> he's, he's preparing. Just, he's preparing for right. the off chance that That's that right. happen. I yes. mean, these these bad guys, who, you know, the Joker mobile or something. I don't know. Okay. The Riddler mobile. Gosh, man. The, that, Nitrous. I would absolutely love to see something like that. I know that how in Christopher- Mark on wheels. Well, we had both in Tim Burton's Batman. <laughs> so Tim Burton's Batman, we had a bit of a car chase. We did. Had, had some cho- some Joker- uh, Paint jobs. Cars and stuff. But- it, it really wasn't any kind of competition. Like, like I mean, the Batmobile yeah, no. evaded them handily yeah, and, and no like took them out yeah. and like that. And then in Christopher Nolan's Batman, there was kind of like that cool like semi truck rig thing that Joker and his henchmen were in that they were trying to take out. Like, sure. but we haven't had a like total like twisted metal scenario where like right. Bruce is in his Batmobile. And we've got like, say like Joker, for instance, we're like, there are all kinds of crazy looking like cars and stuff. And then Joker's in like the boss vehicle and like all kinds of bazookas Actually, crazy stuff going on. Like I would love to see that in a Batman movie. I mean, yeah, you're right. In a movie, we haven't seen it. We haven't seen it in the games. Yes, we've seen the games. Oh yeah. I, I, I awesome. want to see a cinematic awesome. rendition of that. Yeah. Wouldn't true. that be sweet? It would be sweet, Russ. Very sweet. Yeah. But this was like the next best thing. Yes. Um, Continue, Steve. I wish there was more scenes with uh, the said Batmobile. I wanted to see what was kind of going on on the inside, too, what kind of gadgetry he had. Yeah. I mean, the thing was fast and it had some strong, you know, major suspension, some good bumper work. Did you like the way it sounded? I did. Yeah, mm. it sounded like it um, had some displacement. I will imagine, well, not imagine, I will tell you, Steve. What? Uh, a grin spread slowly across my face when all of a sudden that thing roared to life. I did kind of think it was funny how they all said, let's get in our cars and drive away. They didn't say that, but that was basically what happened. was like, let's drive away. You Both know? Batman and Penguin were like, they're like, let's get in our cars. <laughs> uh, I mean, what are they going to do? I mean, I, I guess they could have thought like, ah, I just trying to fool us. It's not that fast. You know, it's a hybrid. You know, <laughs> it's so. Uh, <laughs> Who knew penguin could be so green? Right. Um, or like they could have just gone back inside. And then this is a poison like, ivy. Yeah. <laughs> right. And then Batman would be like, oh, I got in this car for a reason. Like I got to go back inside now. Yeah. Turns the key off and goes back in the building. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I mean. I w- so yeah, I I would have loved to see you know stuff like you know little more contraptions and technology sure. and whatnot, um, but uh, they did give us the money shot, which is the the turbine you oh know, fire behind gosh, the car. Gosh, yeah, that was so satisfying. And I did think it was cool that you got glimpses of that turbine motor engine in like the the bat cave. I the guess you cave. could call it. Yeah, yeah, I'm like you know if you didn't know if you didn't really know what you were looking for, you would have missed it. But I'm yeah. like, ooh, I yeah. know what that is. Uh-huh. Um, and so once you saw the full thing. Um, and the, what was also, I will say, in the dark, it looks good, but we didn't see it in the light. And so it could just look pretty plain Jane in the light. You never know. Indeed. I mean, but in dark, it looks very sinister. Indeed, it could look very sinister, Steve. Yeah. <clears throat> I um, always love the moment where we finally get to see the reveal, the grand reveal of the Batmobile. It does not matter if it's the Tim Burton Batman or if it's the Christopher Nolan Batman 
or in this instance, the Matt Reeves Batman, the Batman. It is always so satisfying to see uh, what they have cooked up for the Batmobile. I love how, I mean, because like when you think of it, it's it's Batman's mechanical steed. You know, when you think right. of of how like Batman looks, he, in a, in a way, he's kind of like a man out of time because he's dressed very much almost like kind of like medieval in a way. Like he's got his cape and he's got like his branding and like he's got like, you know, a lot of these like weapons a, that are melee. Like and, a knight. Yes. Oh, man. Like a dark knight. A kite. No, no, uh, no <laughs> not, 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 not a kite. No, a knight. Yes. If yes. a knight and a kite were to mix, I would be the Batman. Kite man. <laughs> no. No, no. I'm here. Whoa, so yeah. stop this wind. Yeah. <laughs> trying to land. I'm trying to make this landing <laughs> awesome, but this gust is really making it hard. Oh, boy. So, yeah, when it comes to the Batmobile itself, um, looking at, at the type of, of character Batman is, it is very satisfying to always see because it lets, you know, again, as a knight or dark knight or whatever, back in the day, you'd have your trusty steed, sure. right? You'd have like some sort of amazing horse. Feed him some oats. Exactly. And I, and so every time that, that the Batmobile makes its grand appearance and everybody is just like, whoa, this is a payoff. This is super cool. I will say I'm pretty particular with how the Batmobile contours look so still like why my absolute favorite design of the Batmobile is the Tim Burton Batman like it totally embraces this once again kind of like that comic book opera uh, romanticism that's there you have those, those those very nice long like gothic deco lines and like you you know just the hood is so like unbelievably long in comparison to like where the cockpit is and all of um, the different types of, of decorations and little fine touches and stuff they do on that. It just totally screams. Batman it is unapologetically Batman. Now I have also really loved the Batmobile from Christopher Nolan's Batman movies. The Tumblr. The Tumblr indeed. And the Tumblr took a noticeably different approach. Like they kind of went the um, exact opposite of what we saw in Tim Burton's films and made it much more practical. It had more of that accessibility. It felt more military. It did, Russ. And there was something very, very satisfying about that particular Batmobile as well. This one is interesting because it felt more like a muscle car to me. Well, it was. It's It's literally like a Camaro. Yeah. I think like a 69 Camaro or something, yeah. And so I guess that is one of the things that I think about with, with regards to the car is how, again, I'm, I, I can't help myself, but I have to compare notes with the various visions that these directors over the years have had with Batman. Batman Begins was an origin story of Batman. So when he's talking to Lucius Fox, Lucius Fox introduces the Tumblr to Bruce Wayne. Right. You know, he like paints it black and everything else. And so that is the OG Batmobile within Christopher Nolan's universe. Having said that, looking and comparing that to what Matt Reeves did with this one, I do think it, it does fit kind of like the overall aesthetic. Like if I were to think of like Christian Bale as Batman, right? Versus Robert Pattinson, who we haven't talked to or talked to, we haven't talked about yet. Um, when you think of 
the physique that Christian Bale had, the dude was just big. I mean, he was huge in those Batman movies, which I remember in the uh, back in the day, <clears throat> excuse me, there was a lot of talk because he had slendered down for the machinist role. And out of nowhere, he like bulked up like super bro big. And <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, like we, alpha big. I remember <laughs> everybody being blown away by just, I mean, the dude was ripped. He was, he was huge. So when I think about that, it makes huge. sense like, like with the tumbler, cause the tumbler was also like, we're like, you know, strong, bulky pecs. Yeah. Yeah. When I look at the tumbler, I think pecs. That's what I think. <laughs> Glutes. No. But like when I compare that to like um, the Robert Pattinson version, you know, even though Robert Pattinson did bulk up a bit. Yeah. He was way more slender. If like if you were to stand him up next to Christian Bale back when he was Batman, there's no comparison. I mean, the body types are totally different. And it's interesting how the cars kind of almost reflect that in the sense that like Robert Pattinson's Batmobile was more slendered down. It was still strong. It still got the job done, but it wasn't like the tumblers. You notice that? Yes, I did. Um I didn't really equate the two necessarily. Um, the Tumblr to me just did the job. Uh, I mean, they made, they literally made a Batmobile out of nothing. Like, you know, they didn't put like a body kit on a, on a Corvette or nothing. They're like, well, let's build this thing from scratch. And so with that concept in mind, I mean, to me, that makes the Batmobile. I mean, it came from someone's mind to paper to production, it's like, there's your Batmobile, turn the key, and it goes. And maybe it doesn't like, you know, fiery thrust over buildings and whatnot, but I mean, you could turn that puppy on, it goes four-wheel drive. I mean, it's it's awesome. So which, okay, so which Batmobile is your personal favorite out of all the ones that have been created? I would... <clears throat> uh, yeah. I would have to say... Um, yeah, I would. I would probably say the the, the tumbler with a close second of the the Batmobile, the Batmobile from uh, the cartoon, the Dark Knight oh. cartoon series. I like that Batmobile. Well, and you know that one was was loosely based off of Tim Burton's Batmobile. It was, but it didn't have like the bat like cape cow of yeah like, flares on the back of it. It had more of like that Cadillac kind of point. Yeah, which I like. Yeah. No, it's definitely nice. Definitely nice. I'm surprised because I you were you made it sound as though the tumbler was not really one that you thought much of, but it sounds like that was your favorite. Yeah, no, that's yeah, I love the tumbler. Oh, okay. Okay, then Steve. Hmm. Uh Robert Pattinson is a fellow we have not yet discussed, and which is ironic because he's the main role. <laughs> right. So when I was going into this movie, I was particularly interested in seeing how he would do because the movies that, that um, he have has been in in the past, I haven't been a fan of. I ha It just hasn't interested me, you know, like Twilight and that sort of thing. I, it's just not for me. It's not my age group or whatever. You saw, but I, you saw him in Tenant, though. I'm getting to I'm that. I'm sorry. I jumped the gun. <sighs> Freaking oh, I'm just going to sit here and be quiet. <laughs> It's okay, Steve. It's okay. What I was about to say before he uh, just got, he, he jumped the shark is uh, 
all of a sudden I saw him in Tenet and was extremely impressed ah. because for the first time I had actually seen him do a role that wasn't that constant melancholy emo, like, oh, woe is me. Oh, I've got like hair and like my face and I'm just, uh, you know, like <laughs> life sucks. No, I'm yeah. just kidding. Uh, when I saw that film though, like he was actually my favorite character, like the, or, or an actor, like, like the entire, of all the characters that were in Tenet, I was like, he totally caught my interest, caught my attention, um, had that, that sense of mystery to him without it being cheesy, <clears throat> gave enough away where like he had a lot of depth to his character and that sort of thing. And just the way he carried himself, I was like, whoa, this is a delight. This is a delightful surprise. And so going into this film, I was like, okay, let's see what he's got. And I bought into, for the most part, like when, when he was Batman, I bought into it. I, I, I really enjoyed seeing him go to fisticuffs. I enjoyed, um, like there, there are certain scenes where like that hallway with like, with the, the henchmen and the machine guns loved that scene where, it, I mean, it was just, it was so brutal seeing those, those bullets like hit him and stuff. And it wasn't like he was Superman. I mean, he felt every one of those, but he was, again, it's like that unstoppable force. You know, it's that will that he has. I totally love that. What I thought was shortcoming with him was what we've been kind of alluding to uh, all throughout this podcast episode, which is when he was Bruce, I felt as though he was too <clears throat> monochromatic. Like it was too monotone. Yeah. There was, there wasn't, a, there, there, there weren't enough other shades to the character that allowed me to be able to bond with his rendition of Bruce. Is that kind of what That's you thought? That's exactly what I thought. Um, <clears throat> with my limited knowledge of the comic, I, what I can gather is that he has two personalities. He's Bruce Wayne, the playboy, and he's out in the crowd and he's, you know, trying to carry on his dad's last name, the business rubbing elbows, kissing babies, shaking hands sort of thing. Like, he's that guy, right? Um, Slapping dames on the ass. Hey, should you come work for me? I'm just, God, it's terrible. Um, <laughs> it's a Playboy Bruce Wayne. Yeah, I'm fitting it's the It's a facade. Part. It's, it's yeah. not who I truly am. <laughs> Don't blame me. It's just an act. Yeah. Um, you want proof? I got, I got my suit right over there. Yeah. It's on my business card. <laughs> uh, so, anyhow... <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, when we saw him as Bruce Wayne, like, there was no difference. Yeah. It's not like black or white. Like, it was just one shade, and that's all he It's like, regardless had. of whether he had his um, cowl on or off, he was just the same. He was the same guy. Yeah. Yeah. What did you think of him as Batman, though? Um, As Batman, I mean, he, yeah, I could see him working as as Batman. I... I'm, I have to view him with the filter of he's new at this, not necessarily the actor in acting, but he he's trying to act as Bruce Wayne, crime fighter, learning, like getting, putting this glove on of, of crime fighter more so than Bruce Wayne businessman. Right. And so I'm maybe he's just getting used to it. And he's trying to separate the two. I don't know. I'm trying to like be forgiving here, but um, as Batman, he was fine, a bit too quiet, a bit too soft, um, spoken, I should say. The fighting was fine. I would like to see a little more, I guess, maybe martial arts or something like um, 
some moves with flair or something, you know, the, the dance for the camera kind of thing. I think that would have been cool. I mean, he was the tough guy. That's for sure. Oh yeah. That's for dang sure. But, um, he took his lickings. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, <clears throat> I also want to see him be like more agile, you know, with, you know, the, these thugs that he was just like this brooding presence and he's a tall dude. He's tall. Um, yeah. so he has that menacing look of like, okay, well, He's got presence. He's got reach. Uh, well, I mean, and he was able to throw down. I believed in, in, in the different types of scenarios that he was right. in. I mean, there was one moment in particular that I loved at the end where um, you have the Riddler's henchman and he somehow like uses his grapple gun, shoots a guy through his leg, like his calf muscle. So the blade goes through it. And I think he ended up going through two of them he dives off the cat rail or cat guard, whatever it is, um, guard rail. And it causes the guys to fall off with him. And then he like comes up using the rope or something like one or two times and like lands on a different guard rail. It's, it's hard to describe. It's like a like, loop-de-loop kind of thing. Yeah. But I really love the organic flow of that. Like it, it didn't look forced. It was just like, yeah, that's totally something Batman would do. And those those moments, like again, like that, or like the machine gun sequence, or even when I mean, he dude get shot in the chest by a shotgun at point blank range. I mean, like, yeah, I felt that. I was like, dude, like, despite the fact that he's Batman, that body armor will only shield you from so much. Which again, I mean, it played really nicely into the budding relationship between Batman and Catwoman. How like you know that was her opportunity to be able to save him when he was in uh needs and then even when he like had that like vial of uh oh what is it uh adrenaline oh yeah he injects that adrenaline shot and i mean dude he was raging Jacked. at that point yeah. i mean just he, again it, that kind of stuff i i was like dude that's awesome yeah i actually thought that was a pretty cool scene cuz like i mean who's going to get up from that shotgun blast armor or not, it's going to like knock the wind out of you. Oh, and it's going to put you right back on your booty. Yeah. <laughs> and so like, you're not going to get up and just dust off and be like, whew, that was a close Did one. you see all like, like the spread shot that yeah. was left over? Right. So I, I thought, man, how, I mean, he's going to have to do something like the movie ain't over yet. Yeah. What's going to happen. And, uh, so when he gave him himself, I thought that was believable. Like I totally. thought, okay, if this was a real thing, he'd have to have something that he'd have to expect that he's going to have to get laid out by somebody who's probably stronger or knows how to fight better than he or is. Or just overwhelmed by or the just sheer overwhelmed. numbers. Right. And so what's he going to have to do? And of course, I mean, we all love the gadgets, but to have uh, an adrenaline shot maybe in his belt or something that he could stick himself, I thought that was a cool idea. I also really appreciated how, like, there was a, a part of his armor that he could open up. Did you notice that? No. So he takes the adrenaline vial out. And there's like a, some part on his armor that he was able to open up. And that basically was like an open hole that went all the way to his skin. And that's how he injected himself. And I thought, man, that is, again, it's those little touches that I love. It's like the forethought. Right. You know, it's not just like, oh, yeah, I'm Batman. I, I have all this armor. I need to inject myself. I guess I'll do it on my cheek. And <laughs> <laughs> all the open skin on my, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh. Lord knows I'm not going to be doing all my God piece. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, did you have any other thoughts, Steve? Yes, Russ. I, I would say um, so. Towards the end, you know, we, we've we've had Batman who is 
acting vengeance upon the city, yeah, uh, giving people a minor death wish in, in a way uh, of sorts. Yeah, <laughs> like with the movie, uh, for committing crimes. Uh. And so he keeps on saying, "I'm vengeance, I'm vengeance, I'm vengeance." We don't really hear. At least I don't remember. You can. I, I think we only heard him allude to himself, or someone allude to him as the Batman. All of the times, it's just like I'm vengeance. And then towards the end of the movie. Uh, when he leads those people out from that flooded like uh, uh, arena yeah. or whatever that was, yeah. um, this lady's being airlifted onto a helicopter and she's hanging on to his le- or, uh, arm. Yeah. And basically, I forgot what, what the exchange was, but it was basically like she saw him as hope, which was the opposite of vengeance. Right. Um, and I, it kind of took me... Kind of felt me for a loop a little bit too, because I mean, I'm acting, I'm looking at it like, yeah, if I'm going to be a victim of a crime, I'm going to want vengeance. And, you know, little old me, I'm not going to be able to enact that much vengeance, but Batman can. And it's kind of like that civilian kind of vigilante justice, I guess you could say. You can't wait for the law. You just want to do it now. You want to make sure they get punched in the face. Um, But it's not necessarily what Arkham needed to heal. Um, they needed hope and not vengeance or maybe vengeance in the form of hope. Who knows? But yeah. anyhow, cause that, that one villain where he's laid out, he's not dead. Falcone? No, it was one of the, one of the, one of the, uh, Riddler henchmen. Oh yeah. He's laid out and they're like, what's your name? What's your name? He's like, <laughs> I'm vengeance. <laughs> yep. Like, and so he's basically saying what the Batman is saying, but his mind has been warped and vengeance is totally something completely different than what Batman's vengeance is. Exactly. No, I, I think that that was uh, one of the many moments in the film with regards to storytelling that was a moment of reflection because with Batman in his second year of doing what he does, he hasn't matured into his role yet. Right. There is still a whole lot of self-discovery that he has to make and especially being in year two, he is consumed with vengeance and he is, is able to use, um, you know, his, uh, Batman persona as the instrument to dish out that vengeance for. But at that moment, he realized again, it's that fork in the road. You know, you have that, those moments where it's like, if you are going to become vengeance, you have to adhere to certain rules. Like for instance, you know, Batman's one rule is he does not kill. He will like brutally like maim the crap out of you, but he will not kill you. <laughs> um, but you wish you were dead. You make you wish you were dead. Um, but you saw the comparison between that versus the Riddler henchman who had a gun, who was there to kill. Right. And not only that, but like it acts as like a barometer check for Batman to be able to, to look at himself and be like, you know, I need to be very careful about, how I um, present myself to not only criminals, but also society as a whole. And I think that that was a really fitting ending for the film where, you know, the film, there's just so much darkness, right? And it's very easy to get wrapped up in that with a Batman type of movie. But I loved how him with the red, um, what are they called? Like Flair. Flair, thank you. He was the guiding light out of hell. You know, if you think about like that great top down shot where like you see him wading through the water and he's holding up the red flare um, and you see the people um, begin to trust him enough to follow him out into the water, you know, away from like the, their safe Harbor of like the wreckage and stuff like that. It was a, a really lovely visual because 
Batman is in fact a hero. Like right. he's not all about the grisly voice and <clears throat> you know, the fisticuffs and everything else. He's also about helping people. And I think like the scene that you described was also very much a welcome sight to see where you had the kid that was going to get airlifted and he was no longer afraid of Batman. In fact, he didn't want to let go of Batman because the kid made the connection that Batman was there to protect. And there's a very big difference between protection and punishing like, you know, protection versus punishment. Um, and I think that again, that that's where like a very like defined line in the sand has been drawn with regards to Batman. So really, really cool. I'm going to bring the lights back up to where they normally are here today, as I have had a lot of fun with you, and I appreciate you uh, reviewing the film in the dark. My eyes. <clears throat> I feel like I've been, I feel like you're flashing a light in my face after I've been asleep. Oh. You been drinking, son? <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> no. Just my drop a can of apple juice. <laughs> Tropicana. It's orange juice, Russ. Don't they do apple juice too? I don't think they do. Maybe they do. Oh. Not sponsored by Tropicana. You're thinking, you know, you think too much into this stuff, Steve. It's, it's, it's just a joke. It's whatever. What do you want? Minute Maid? Treetop. Okay, we'll go treetop. <laughs> All right. Well, how about you give your final thoughts and rating of the film, Steve? Final thoughts, Russ. <clears throat> So I'm going to say, um, you know, I'm glad we finally watched it. I, this, we've been watching the previews for the longest long time. time yeah, these teasers and these twisters and all this stuff with, like, the masking tape. I'm like, just show us the movie already. And so we finally got to watch duct it. Duct tape, Steve. Uh, masking tape, duct tape, painter's tape. Yeah, I could break right through it. Um, <laughs> so, Scotch tape. <laughs> Let me just start. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, uh, boy. Anyway. So we finally got the movie, and I'm um, glad I watched it. Like I said in the beginning, they gave me a lot of what I liked, some of the stuff I didn't like. You know what I also didn't like, though, real quick, is that, like when a car or a motorcycle would pull up, and then like they would put the headlight as the entire movie screen. I'm like, oh, my gosh. You, you know, just, I think my wife mentioned man, the same thing. That happened at least four times. I'm like, you want me to close my eyes during the movie? Um, anyhow. Uh, I enjoyed how long the movie was, but I wish they would have used more of that time to develop the relationships, like I've been saying. I was I was a little bit disappointed with the relationships almost across the board. I um I with Gordon being the best, Catwoman being the worst, I just I just really didn't everybody else <laughs> in between, I just couldn't really grasp it, you know. Um Pattinson I thought did great. I uh hats off to Colin Farrell though. Um just the man of the hour. I whew, I mean he was definitely the two highlights of the movie, Batmobile scene, anything with Cal with Colin Farrell in it. Oh, what about Paul Dano there, Steve? Um, yeah, I mean, he was good, but I mean, like, I didn't know who Paul Dano was, and I know who Colin Farrell is. And so- well, what does that have to do with the I'm just saying, because I've seen tons of stuff with Colin Farrell, and like, okay, I recognize him in this movie, that movie, that movie, that movie, okay, I recognize him in totally movies. And then this, I'm like, you know, <clears throat> totally different. This is like the first movie I've seen Paul Dano in, so I don't like, I have nothing to compare it to. Mm. I mean, I'm sure he, he did fine. I'm just saying. All right, all right. I'm just saying. He, I, to me, hey, it's my final thoughts, oh, Russ. I, I just, my I, final thoughts. Okay. Mine. <laughs> Where was I? Um, anyhow, I mean, that, I mean that, that's, I guess, basically it is. I, you know, I, relationships, 
Um, I thought Pattinson did fine as Batman, lackluster and Bruce Wayne. That could have been the writing. Um, but anyhow, I would say final rating for me would be a uh, 3.5, I would say. 3.5, I definitely want to see some of the like the more notable scenes in the movie all over again. Um, I want to see the movie again. I just don't really know how many times I really want to see the movie. I think I just want to see it once more to, to get things that I missed the first time, crank the volume up on some of the other scenes, and, um, and then that's about it. Mm-hmm. So 3.5 <clears throat> for yours truly. Fair enough. Thank you for that, Steve. I share your sentiment of how um, this has been a movie that actually has been a, a long time coming, to be honest. And I think part of that was because neither you nor I were fans of the Ben Affleck rendition of Batman. So forgettable. we've been waiting on um, kind of like the who will take up the mantle next. And so this had a lot of intrigue to it when it came to Matt Reeves as a director and writer. Um, the cast that he put together, um, a lot of names in there. I was like, whoa, okay, this is this sounds very interesting, very cool. And I would say <clears throat> this is a great movie. Um, as a Batman fan, I tend to have... Um, more of a critical eye when it comes to these films. I'm not one of those like type of fanboys where like, if it says Batman, then I'm, all of a sudden I'm going to be like, Oh, he's just the best. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm just not like that. In fact, I'm the opposite. I'm, I'm looking and making sure that like I, I get the type of Batman story and, and experience that I'm looking for. So um, looking at the characters though, the, as, and more specifically the, the actors, Paul Dano did a phenomenal job as the Riddler. As I stated um, earlier, it's very difficult to be able to come across seriously and um, as deadly being the Riddler as uh, Paul Dano did. So my uh, proverbial hat goes off to him on that. Colin Farrell, exactly the same thing. I could not believe I was watching Colin Farrell as the Penguin. It was not Colin Farrell. It was the Penguin. It was Oswald Cobblepot right in front of my face. Brilliant. Amazing how... Both of those actors and those characters could have existed in the, within the Christopher Nolan world of Batman. I, I really feel like like they would have been uh, perfect fits for that. Yeah. I do think that um, Robert Pattinson's performance suffered a little bit, not because of him as an actor, but because I think of the direction. Hmm. I think the direction wanted to really dive down into that gritty uh, darkness, but there is a limit I feel that you can do that uh, where um, the character will start to suffer a bit as a result. So I didn't, I don't feel as though we got the type of, of performance that we could have gotten from Mr. Pattinson, but I do think that <clears throat> he definitely has uh, the chops to be Batman. Um, and, and it was on display in, in his own way. Hmm. When it came to uh, Zoe Kravitz, Catwoman is also very difficult character to adequately portray. I thought she did a really nice job. Um, I nowhere at any point did I feel like she was not Catwoman. I, I totally bought into it. Um, wanted to see a bit more as to like where it could go on from here. The score had some 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 great moments to it. The story honestly was one of the highlights for me. I loved how this story was written. It had a very film noir quality to it. I loved how they dove into that, that kind of like 
world of riddles, right? Like, which we knew that we knew it was going to happen because it was the Riddler, of course. But I love the journey that we went on with like, we just, we just didn't know where we were going to go next. <coughs> Excuse me. And gross. <coughs> I've been better. Um, but when it came to where we were like, where we started versus where we ended up, I loved how they embraced certain aspects and qualities from the movie seven. Very, very cool. Like yeah. that is so appropriate. I, and I'm curious to see where it goes. This is the first film. Um, I'm curious to see. I don't know if you noticed, uh, you know, who Paul Dano was speaking with in Arkham Asylum. Yeah, I did. <clears throat> I, I, but I, I kind of just, what I hope they don't necessarily go with that character. Russ, because we've seen the same character, almost every like iteration of Batman. And I kind of want them to explore other villains. Sure, you know what I'm saying. Sure. I feel like I, it's not like I don't like that villain. I just want to see other villains yeah, come into play. Absolutely. So my hope is is that we do in fact see a sequel. I think that Matt Reeves has put together something that is really cool. I would love to see like perhaps in a sequel, um, an updated Batmobile that does um, embrace and imbue more of the characteristics that we've all come to know and love about like what that like comic book opera Batmobile looks like. And in in addition to that, Hey, how about a Batwing? Right. I mean, we had him on a motorcycle. It was not the same thing as like, you know, a tricked out bat motorcycle or bat pod or whatever, but bat drone. Exactly. I want to see more gizmos and gadgets. I want to see, be able to see a bit more of that because I, I feel like we've gone down this um, path a couple of times now with regards to the origin story, which is, it's cool in its own way. Don't get me wrong. Mm. I just really want to be able to see Batman in his element, like, like kind of the golden years of Batman. Yeah. We're like, you know, the bat cave is totally decked out. He's got all the toys, bat segues. Oh man. No idea. <laughs> so I think I will give this film four stars. I knew it. Four out of five stars. I knew it. We want to thank you very much for hanging out with us. Mm. If you enjoyed this episode, we invite you to check out patreon.com slash joygasm, where you can enjoy exclusive perks and early access to the show. Not to mention it continues financially helping us do the show of joygasm. Also, why don't you solve the riddle on that subscribe button and maybe take a little scratchy scratch at that notification bell. That way you will not miss a single episode of Joygasm, which drops once a week, every week. And while you're at it, do a search on your favorite social media platform of choice. We're on just about all of them. Just do a search for at Joygasm TV. And last but not least, do a search for Joygasm TV on Twitch to see us stream our gaming adventures live every Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Central Time. We will look forward to hanging out with all of you next week.